You're listening to the Belmar Church Sermon Podcast. For more information about Belmar or to see our upcoming events, visit belmarchurch.com. Maybe your first part of high school, you had to take English composition. Uh, I had to take English composition in college, and uh, it was a freshman class. I uh, began to take it on two separate occasions and dropped it twice. It was literally the last class I ever took to finish my degree, my undergrad. Um, I, I walked and then took it later. That's how bad I didn't want to take English composition. I don't know what that says about me, uh, but one thing you learn in English comp is that if you're telling a story, there's usually the introduction, the body, and then the... Some of you didn't take it either. So conclusion. (laughs) The conclusion, the end. It's important that you start with something that that maybe tells what you're going to talk about or gets somebody's attention. When I write a message, I think about the introduction. And I realize I just shocked some of you because you're like, he thinks about what he's going to say when he gets up there. It doesn't really seem that way. I I understand that. But I think about how I want to begin because I want to get your attention. And then I try to think about where we're going to end up. Sometimes in my sermons, we don't always end up where I thought we were going to end up. That's true. But we've been studying and going through the book of Galatians in the New Testament. This letter that was written by the Apostle Paul to the churches in the region, the area of Galatia. He writes them this letter because of false teachers that are coming in and teaching them that that it's more than just faith in Jesus Christ and God's grace and forgiveness to us. You also have to follow Jewish laws and dietary laws and holidays. And for males, you have to be circumcised. You have to do these things to experience God's forgiveness. And Paul lays out, no, that is not the case. He lays it out doctrinally. He lays it, and then he begins to talk about the practical. And then we come to Galatians chapter 6 and verse number 11. The very end of this passage, and Paul says this, Notice what large letters I use as I write these closing words in my own handwriting. Those who are trying to force you to be circumcised want to look good to others. They don't want to be persecuted for teaching that the cross of Christ alone can save. And even those who advocate circumcision don't keep the whole law themselves. They only want, to, they only want you to be circumcised so they can boast about it and claim you as their disciples. Paul says in verse 11, notice that I'm writing in large letters with my own hand. The reason for that is that most of the letters that Paul wrote, we have indication that they were dictated, that someone else would be writing them down and Paul would be be speaking it while someone wrote. 
And so you can imagine that that gave Paul, you know, an opportunity to maybe edit a little bit as he went. He might have done what some of us do. He might have been going along, and then he said, uh, and, and, and what's the word I'm thinking of? You ever do that? Like it's right there, but it's not there. Man, when you get that right word, it's great satisfaction, right? But when you don't, doesn't it just kind of eat at you all day? That I imagine Paul being that way. Maybe Paul would say, read that last part back to me. No, that's, that's too harsh or that's not strong enough. And maybe he would edit that a little bit. But then he gets done dictating this letter. And he says to whoever is transcribing it, give me that pen. Give me that sheet. I'm going to finish this off myself. And this is one of those verses that um, scholars look at to say, Paul must have had some kind of an eye issue because he says he writes big letters. Paul was the John Hancock of his day, you know? That guy that had the signature so much bigger than everybody else's. Okay, on the declaration. Some of you guys can look it up later. <laughs> anyway, you're like, isn't that an insurance company preacher? Maybe, I don't know. But he says, I'm going to write this myself. This is how I'm going to sum up everything we've talked about. And so he talks about these false teachers. And he says, those who are trying to force you to be circumcised, verse 12, want to look good to others. You know what the deal is with these false teachers? They are motivated by themselves. They want to look good to others. They want to be able to brag about what they are doing. It's not about you, and it's not about God. It's about them. Thank goodness in our society, no preacher or pastor or teacher struggles with that at all today. That is sarcasm. <laughs> I struggle with that. I pray about that. Because I want to preach and, and I want you to go, oh, that's a good message, preacher. Hey, you know, Thanks. Just average for me. But that shouldn't be my motivation. Well, you know, our preacher, he's, he's, he's easy to listen to, or he's clever, or he has great insight, or whatever it is. I would love to be that preacher, but you know what? That cannot be my motivation. My motivation should be first and foremost to please God. And second of all, I want to preach in a way that the power of the Holy Spirit is free to work and move in your life. Otherwise, what's the point? It's just entertainment. And Paul said these false teachers, they brag, they do it for themselves. Not only that, but they're compromisers. 
He says at the second part of verse 12, they don't want to be persecuted for teaching that the cross of Christ alone can save. That's why Paul wrote in Galatians 5, in verse 11, dear brothers and sisters, if I were still preaching that you must be circumcised, as some say I do, why am I still being persecuted? Paul said, listen, when you stand up and you say Jesus Christ is the only way, there's going to be some people that oppose that idea. I mentioned this before, but in the world in which we live, Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through him. Listen, it's not about, that. there's not four or five ways to get to God. There's not three or four ways to get to heaven. There is one way. It is through Jesus Christ, faith in him alone. That's it. And anything else is a false way. It's a lie. You say, well, preacher, that's pretty narrow-minded. It is. Jesus said narrow is the gate that leads to life. Broad is the path that leads to destruction. And I don't say that to be prideful. We shouldn't say that to be prideful. We need to recognize that we have the words of life. And Paul said, listen, some people say I'm preaching circumcision. If that's true, why am I still being persecuted? Part of the reason that these false teachers preached what they did is it was easier, it was more well-received. They didn't want to be persecuted. Not only that, but the cross of Christ is always a stumbling block. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18 says, the message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know it, know it is the very power of God. Verse 22 says this, it is foolish to the Jews who ask for signs from heaven. It's foolish to the Greeks who seek human wisdom. So when we preach that Christ was crucified and the Jews are offended and the Gentiles say it's all nonsense, but to those who are called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. This foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans. And God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human needs. Listen, this is something that God has just been speaking to me about about the fact that he says over and over, listen, I created a plan that when someone would look at it and analyze it, they would go, that doesn't seem like the smartest way. See, I love efficiency. I want to try to look at things and, and just be as smart as I can. Like, I don't know if you have this, but you go to run some errands. This happens to me sometimes. And I don't think it through as well as I should have. And I go here and here. And then I have an appointment. And then I have to go back up there. That just grinds my gears right there. I could have, if I'd have just left a little earlier or I planned it out a little better, I just could have boop, boop, boop. And, then, and when I do that, I just, that's, I, that's the best feeling in the world. 
Like I do home, I do some home projects sometimes, not big home projects because my wife would rather hire a professional the first time than pay him more to redo what I do. But sometimes I do little things. And I generally try to measure those in trips to Home Depot. Like if I can do a home project in one trip to Home Depot, that's a grand slam right there. You laugh, but I've gone four and five times to Home Depot. Yeah, I, nobody's making a TV show about my home improvements, let me tell you. <laughs> Maybe on the comedy channel. Today, we're going to watch this idiot. Sure, it won't be that hard. Give me the chainsaw. I mean, that's... And you know what Jesus said? You know what God said? I picked a foolish way. I didn't pick the most efficient way. I picked a foolish way. You know what I did? I used the weak to show myself strong. I used fools to demonstrate my wisdom. What we need as a church, as followers of Jesus Christ, is not a better strategic plan. It's not more resources, more money. We need the power of God at work in our lives. Because God thrives. Listen, this is the good news, at least for me. God thrives in weakness. He says, I will show my strength in weakness. God thrives in foolishness. He says, I will show my wisdom in your foolishness. That's not an excuse for us to be foolish. But we need God's power. Man, my prayer just over the last several weeks has been, God, show your power at Belmar Church. Show your power in our service. Show your power in my preaching. Show your power in the lives of our people. God, show your power in our young people. Show your power. That is what we need. And Paul said, the cross has always been a stumbling block. Not only that, they were high-pressure salespeople. Paul said they're trying to force you to be circumcised. And then he says they're hypocrites. Verse 13, even those who advocate circumcision don't keep the whole law themselves. They only want you to be circumcised so that they can boast about it and claim you as the disciples. We looked at this passage last week, but in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus said, to the, to the crowd and to his disciples, teachers of religious law and the Pharisees are the official interpreters of the law of Moses. So practice and obey whatever they tell you, but don't follow their example, for they don't practice what they teach. They crush people with unbearable religious demands, and they never lift a finger to ease the burden. We need to be men and women who the power of God is on our life, but we are walking the walk, not just talking the talk. He said these false teachers, they, they would preach one thing, but they couldn't keep it themselves. Then Paul goes on in verse 14. 
he continues to write his conclusion. He says, as for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, my interest in this world has been crucified. And the world's interest in me has also died. It doesn't matter whether we have been circumcised or not. What counts is whether we have been transformed into a new creation. May God's peace and mercy be upon all who live by this principle. They are the new people of God. Notice what Paul says there in verse 14. I'm not going to brag about anything except the cross of Christ. Now, the cross is an interesting thing. For, for us in our day and time, I mean, we have a cross in the baptistry. We had a local carpenter make that, and I think it's beautiful. Sometimes maybe you have a cross that you wear around your neck made of gold or silver or some kind of precious metal. But to the first century believers, that's not what the cross was. The cross was the ultimate symbol of persecution and, and, cruci and uh, crucifixion, death. There's a word, and I can't think of it. Execution, that's it. So much better now. Wouldn't it be weird if you walked into a church and up elevated was an electric chair? Wouldn't, like, you were like, what's going on at this church? That's the cross. The cross was a method of execution. Why in the world would we hang it up? Why would we celebrate it? Why would Paul boast about it? Because at the center of the cross represents the love and the power of God. It's not about the symbol of the cross. It's about what happened there. That the son of God laid down his life as a sacrifice for us. And to demonstrate his power over sin and death, three days later, he rose from the dead. And the thing that we celebrate about the cross of Christ is that it is empty and the one who was executed on it is alive and well in heaven today. It is for the same reason that we celebrate the tomb because it is empty, because he is risen indeed. This is what we celebrate at Easter. This is the object of the power of God. And so Paul said, I will boast in the object of execution. How strange to us. And yet, he boasted for several reasons. Number one, Paul boasted in the cross because he knew the man on the cross. Philippians chapter three, verses seven and eight says, I once thought that these things were valuable. Previous to this, Paul talks about all of his Jewish uh, credentials. I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I was a Pharisee. I was circumcised. I was educated. I was this, I was that. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. 
Everything else is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. Everything else I discard. You ever go backpacking? Sometimes you can go camping. Camping, you do this a little bit, but backpacking, you really do it. You think about exactly what you need. See, here's the thing. I really like breakfast cooked in a cast iron skillet. Eggs, bacon, that's great. But you know what? You don't take that backpacking. You know why? It's heavy and you don't want to haul it. No real backpacker has a cast iron skillet strapped to their back of their backpack. Why? Because they're like, I can do without that. My back can do without that. You only take exactly what you need. You don't take your rabbit slippers backpacking. You know why? You don't need that space. You don't need to take up that space. Some of you are like, well, I do. That's your deal, but you're wrong. <laughs> Paul said, everything else falls away. Everything else is shown to be non-essential when I look at Jesus. Knowing him, that's all I need. Knowing him, that's the power of the cross. And Paul knew Jesus and he knew the power of the cross. The power of the cross gives us freedom from ourselves. Galatians 2 and verse 20 says, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in, the earthly, in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. The power of the cross means freedom from the flesh. Galatians 5.24 says, those who belong to Christ, to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Listen, it's not that I don't sin. It's not that I don't have wicked desires, but I know that there is power over sin. I know that there is victory over temptation, not because I'm strong enough, because I'm, I'm weak, not because I'm wise enough, because I'm foolish, but in the power of the cross, in the power of Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit in my life, there is victory over sin. He's demonstrated that and he offers that to me. There's power in the cross. And there's power in the cross means freedom from this world. Paul said, because of that cross, Galatians 6, 14, my interest in this world has been crucified and the world's interest in me has also died. Paul knew the man on the cross, the power of the cross, and Paul knew the purpose of the cross. For the sin of this one man, Romans 5, 17, Adam caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness, 
For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Paul says in Galatians chapter 6, there in verse number 15, he says, it doesn't matter whether we have been circumcised or not. What counts is whether we have been transformed into a new creation. The power of the cross, the purpose of the cross is that we might be transformed that we might be redeemed. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17 says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. Other versions say that in Christ, we are a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. God, God recreates us. We are made alive in him. This is the purpose of the cross. This is why Paul would boast in the cross. And then he concludes his letter with verses 17 and 18 of Galatians 6. From now on, don't let anyone trouble me with these things. For I bear on my body the scars that show I belong to Jesus Dear brothers and sisters, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you, be with your spirit. Amen. Paul said, listen, I bear scars that show I belong to Jesus. I'm not going to show you scars this morning. I was thinking about this. I was like, you know, some people have scars and some people they don't have a lot of scars. I remember the first scar I ever got. I was playing on a swing set at some friend's house. I don't even remember who, but I remember it was one of those old metal swing sets. It was, it was bolted together, and there was a bolt in sticking out, and I remember I caught my hand on it, and it just kind of ripped it. And it bled, I cried, I was a little kid. My parents, you know, put a Band-Aid on it or something. But I remember it had a scar. I remember after that, I was kind of like, yeah. <laughs> I have a lot more scars now. Most of them I'm not real proud of, to be honest. Like I got on my arm, big old scar. That's because... Um, Scooters don't handle like motorcycles. Yeah, and asphalt isn't forgiving. So that that will tell you that. I've got a scar. You can't see it as much on my hand now. It just has wrinkles. But uh, um, you should unhook the battery of your car before you're trying to fix the wiper motor. I had my hand inside and the wiper motor went on and kind of, yeah, I had stitches on both sides of my hand for that one. And I'm sitting in there kind of pinned, like thinking, you're not very smart. <laughs> now the popular thing is people get tattoos. Several of you have tattoos, right? And I, 
it's tattoos are interesting to me because uh, I'll ask people, well, what is that tattoo? And for some people, it's like they tell you this story. And you're like, that is beautiful. You have such meaning to what you read. And other people are like, I like dogs. You know, I mean, <laughs> for some people, there's like these deep, significant things. And other people are like, you know, I just thought it looked cool. My buddy got one too. I was like, oh, okay. I've told you this before. I have one tattoo. Um, it's on my hand. It's my wedding ring because I got married and my wife bought a ring for me and I lost it and I bought another ring and I said, if I ever lose that one, I'm going to get it just tattooed and then I lost that one and then I didn't wear a ring for about six months and my wife said, I thought you always said, and my wife does that. She's, it's very, very annoying where she takes my words and reminds me of them. I know what I said. Actually, that's not even true. A lot of times she reminds me of my words, and I'm like, did I say that? That does sound like me, but I don't recall. So I went and got a tattoo, because at that point, what, that was about five, six years ago. We've been married about 25 years. So it looked like we were gonna, it, we were gonna make it at that point, and I thought, well... Just kidding, kind of. And so when, when I got it, then I had a couple of people are like, oh, now you're going to get tattoos, preacher? No. I mean, that's it. I got one tattoo. I got one wife. But it is a mark. It's permanent. You know what it says? I'm married to Penny. I'm committed to her. Paul said, I bear in my body the scars of following Jesus. I belong to Jesus. He suffered for the cause of Christ. We read Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 and 8, where he says, I, I once thought these things were valuable, all of his Jewish credentials, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. And then he says this, and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness. Through, through obeying the law, rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. And then he says this, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, Paul says. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. I was thinking about that. The resurrection. Like I've said before, I want to live to be a hundred. So, you know, a perfect scenario for me is I could live to be a hundred, then Christ would return. I could just ascend into heaven with him. I'd never have to experience death. That would be great. Amen. But it doesn't, life doesn't work that way. The truth is, 
Most likely, well, most likely I won't live to be 100. I recognize the odds. And someday I'll probably die. I don't want to. But either way, knowing Christ is my Savior, I will get to experience the power of his resurrection firsthand. This is the promise of Easter. This is what we celebrate. Paul had suffered for the cause of Christ. I'm not going to take the time, but it's in your notes. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 22 through 27. You can read that. Paul says, I was shipwrecked. I was beaten with rods. I was whipped. I was stoned. Those things left marks and effects on his body. But he said, when I look at those scars, I look at them as freedom. I have a tattoo on my hand that says I'm married, but I don't look at that as a symbol of bondage. I don't look at that and say, well, the old ball and chain. Listen, that's not true in my life. I look at that as a partner that I have in my life and a commitment that I've made to her and she's made to me and God has blessed us in our marriage. Man, I guarantee you my life would be way, way worse if it wasn't for her. We're not recording that part though, right? I mean, I had to make up. I said something bad earlier. I forgot, but she'll remind me. Paul looked at those scars where he'd been whipped, where he'd been beaten. And he didn't look at those. Maybe, maybe he had pain in his hip or pain somewhere in a, some other joint because of a, a persecution. He didn't look at that with, with, with resentment. He looked at that as, as the freedom that he found in Jesus Christ. Our theme for this whole study of Galatians is Galatians chapter 5 and verse 13, where it says, brothers and sisters, you have been called to live in freedom. Freedom comes through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. And so, first and foremost, I would beg of you, challenge you, do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Has there been a place and a time in your life where you've asked God to forgive you of the wrong things that you've done, you've repented of your sin, and you've put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ for him to forgive you, for him to make of you a new creation? If you've never taken that step of faith, then I would invite you today, even there in your seat, just to pray and say, God, save me a sinner. God, forgive me. Lord, I put my faith in you. Maybe you're here this morning and you are a follower of Jesus. But sometimes 
you try to earn it. Sometimes you think, maybe I can be good enough. Maybe you wouldn't say it, but by your actions, you don't rely on the power of God. You say, oh, I can do this. You're only going to find yourself frustrated. Maybe you just need to be reminded today that you've been called to live in freedom. We're free. We're free to follow Jesus. We're free to serve him, not out of obligation or guilt, but out of thanksgiving. Let us exercise that freedom by sharing Jesus with others. Let's pray this morning. Dear God, thank you so much for your word. Lord, that convicts us, that corrects us, that encourages us, and that instructs us. God, on our own, it's so easy for us to get off course. It's so easy for us to follow our own desires, our own thoughts, our own wisdom. But God, those things are foolishness to you. Our strength is weakness to you. God, we need your wisdom, your strength, your power in our lives to be able to walk and live in that freedom of Jesus Christ. Help us to be mindful of that and to exercise that this week. Lord, if there's anybody here this morning that does not know you as Savior, I pray that even right now, Lord, that they would call out to you right there in their heart. They would say, Lord, save me a sinner. God, forgive me. Cleanse me. Make me new. Lord, I put my faith and my trust in you. God, I pray that as a church, we would be able to come alongside and help those in their walk in freedom. Bless us as we go from this place today. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen.